Welcome back to the Photo Banter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gagne, and on today's podcast, I speak with Brad Smith, the current Vice President for Photography for the WWE Wrestling Organization. Brad Smith has worked as a photo editor and director of photography at publications such as the New York Times, Sports Illustrated, and as assistant photo director for the White House. In this interview, I speak to Brad about growing up in Florida, what drew him to a career in photo editing, his experience working at the White House during the Clinton administration, and I also speak to Brad about working for Sports Illustrated and covering numerous Olympics, Super Bowls, World Series, and Final Fours. Brad Smith is someone who has a wealth of knowledge and experience in the photo industry and is continually giving back and supporting young photographers through workshops like the Eddie Adams Workshop and the Summit Workshops, where he'll be teaching a course online this November about pursuing a career in photo editing. So if you've ever been interested in understanding what photo editors do, or if you're interested in pursuing a career in photo editing, I highly recommend signing up for Brad's course at the Summit Workshops. I'll put the link in the description for you to check out. And uh, yeah, like I said, I highly recommend it. Brad is someone who's been in the business for a while and knows what he's talking about. And I highly recommend it. So I hope you enjoy this podcast, and thanks so much for listening. All right, we now welcome on Brad Smith, uh, photo editor to the stars. Been in the game for a minute. Uh, excited to talk to you, Brad. It's been a few years. I know we met a while back. Um, and you've done researching this, man. You, you've had a really cool career, man. You've worked at a lot of really interesting places and kind of had your hands on a lot of different hats, so really cool stuff. And uh, one thing... Uh, doing some research for this, uh, I, I saw that you, uh, one of your favorite magazines is the Autobahn Society magazine. I think you said that was like, <laughs> would be your dream to work at this doing like, uh, like nature photography and stuff, which I thought yeah. was cool. What do you, what do you like about their magazine? Well, first of all, I got to back up when you said wearing a lot of hats, cause I'm digging your hats, brother, a lot. I love that. Hat <laughs> that's a new one. Today. That's a new one, man. <laughs> I totally love that lid. That's awesome. <laughs> like, I can't keep my eyes off of it, to be honest <laughs> with you. I didn't even know where your face is, cause I keep going to the baseball on fire up there. So, <laughs> so um, uh, when I was in Florida as a college kid and it's before Google and everything. So I was just going through the library, picking magazines I wanted to work for. Mm-hmm. And I had this idea, I'd graduate from college and then I would move to New York and I'd work for magazines. That was my goal. Yeah. And uh, pretty straightforward. And Sports Illustrated was one of them for sure, but Geographic was one, Audubon. I love that outdoor stuff a lot. I just, I was like totally into like nature photography and mostly more landscape stuff than like animals eating each other stuff. But, yeah. you know, I, I really love the landscapes around the world and how beautiful the, the world really is in so many places and the people that go there. So Audubon was on my list for sure. Yeah. And I ended up working there actually right before I went to Sports Illustrated. Oh, really? I didn't yeah, yeah. Very, very briefly for like a year I was there. I was uh, it's a pretty much like two three person staff not a big staff but yeah um, it's a beautiful magazine it comes with the membership kind of thing you know mm-hmm. and uh, I was able to work there for a year and actually it, it led to a job at Sports Illustrated because somebody knew I was there and I was interested so that worked yeah. out fingers crossed worked out okay right yeah, <laughs> yeah man hey <laughs> yeah. I guess you mentioned you grew up in Florida I guess like uh, growing up in Florida what were you kind of interested in as a kid like were you kind of was it photography pretty early on or what do you kind of remember about Florida yeah so my father was in the Navy so I was born in Florida then we did the trip around the country thing you know mm-hmm. Hawaii and so California and some places like that they moved back to Florida like right before high school 
So that's why I say grew up in Florida, born there, but like high school years, more formative kind of years later. And I was totally at different points into definitely into skateboarding and surfing, like every kid from Florida. And um, uh, my nature stuff was I had a lot of friends who were hunters because I grew up in kind of a rural area near Jacksonville, Florida, yeah. a town called Orange Park. And uh, a lot of my buddies, they went hunting. I was not into hunting at all. I've never hunted in my life, but I like to go with them and take pictures out in the woods and stuff like that. So that's where I kind of like the nature photography. We had a lot of alligators near us and, you know, in, in the creeks and the swamps where we lived and stuff. So that was fun. I, I really enjoyed that stuff. But um, then, then I got really much more into sports and things like that. So that gravitated, led me to Sports Illustrated. Oh, interesting. So did you like, uh, when you were kind of early on, got into photography, like, did you end up going to school for it? Did, did, you want yeah. ever, did you always know you wanted to be a photo editor? Or did you ever have like dreams of like shooting yourself or... So I'm going to tell you an absolute true story. I'm in like 12th grade and we're talking about what we want to do when we graduate from high school, blah, blah, blah. And these two people clearly far smarter than I am <laughs> and ever will be were behind me chatting about their careers, you know, med school or whatever kind of stuff. And they asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, you know what I want to do? I said, I want to be the guy that picks out the photos that go in a calendar. That's what I want to do. <laughs> that's like so random. Like, it was so... as a kid. like I, <laughs> that, that's so funny that you had probably that thought I got even... dropped on my head as a kid or something. <laughs> like what's wrong with this dude? But I was like, that's what I want to do. I want to look at like 20 great photos and pick the 12 that go in a calendar, you know? And, yeah. and, and that was like nature kind of photos. I was thinking of sports photos, really basic stuff. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I didn't even know that was a job. I just kind of made it up on the fly because I was trying to think of a career while they were talking about going to med school. Yeah, I was feeling a little bit uh, insecure probably during that conversation anyway. But yeah. I was like, I was like, that's what I want to do. And I mean, I know how to take photos and I went to college for photography and it was more like fine art photography rather than journalism. Mm -hmm. um, but it was a big university. So it offered a lot of things and I just kind of learned the basics and stuff. But I knew pretty much from the beginning two things. One, I really liked the idea of selecting images, other people's images. I kind of, it, once I figured out it was kind of a job, I thought that was really fascinating to see all these different pictures from all over. And two, I knew personally, I did not have the chemistry in me to be a photographer and do the day-to-day like you did when you came to my office and stuff. Yeah. No way, dude. That's not me. I oh, just like the rejection and people telling you what your work's no. like. And I mean, I might be able to do it now. Like and I'm, I'm grown and an adult and later in life, I kind of learned how to handle myself better. But at that time I knew, I said, I cannot do that. There's no way I can go around to yeah. 10 people, get rejected by nine out of 10 if I'm lucky. And one person calls, I'm waiting to, I just, I'm not wired that way. So I knew that was a bad idea to be a photographer for you're, me personally. You're, you're, just, no, it wasn't. It was work. a good idea, Brad. You made a smart decision. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it was a seriously lucky decision that I didn't turn that path. So, so yeah. now I, you know, I went into photo editing, and you know, it's it's clearly defined by uh, get uh, an inordinate amount of the credit when photographs go well, and I shift the blame to the photographer when things don't go well. So that's kind of that's the <laughs> definition of a photo editor, basically. So. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting thing, like uh, with photography, especially editorial, 
because a lot of things are out of your control and out of the photographer's control. Like you guys can plan as much as you want. And I'm sure it's happened in your career where you're like, you guys plan it and did all the production you could, but then like stuff does backfire sometimes. Like the, the talent doesn't want to do this or the location, they won't let you shoot at it anymore. Cause I've done right. that before where a shoot is like, all right, we're going to shoot here. You, you talk to them like five times and then you show up and like, sorry, we can't shoot here anymore. I, I've had that more times than I can count as you have, you know, every, any photographer's ever worked those kind of fields has that happen. It's just, it's not even an interesting story probably at this point because it's just, it's part of the business, you know? It's like, it's like saying you work outside mowing lawns and like, you know, it was really hot today. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Knucklehead, it's, you're out in the sun. And it's like, that's the same thing for us. It just, it comes with the territory, you know? It's not going to work out the way you thought. But I think that really good photographers are problem solvers, major league problem solvers. And they have to figure something out. They have to communicate, let people know what's going on. That's the key thing. This is what happened. I got to his house. His wife and kids literally are not here. What do you want me to do? I can photograph him in the backyard by the pool or whatever. And you just have to make something up. That happens all the time. And a good example was I was at Sports Illustrated recently, the last time I was there, and I was the director of photography. Mm-hmm. We had a photo shoot with Mariano Rivera in his last year. Yeah. And Walter Yost came and photographed Mariano in the outfield. And it was going to go in the cover. It's like a goodbye Mariano tribute thing. And we had this area, it's like a ledge out there in the outfield. Obviously, the outfield wall is really high, and it's not really on the wall, but it's in that area. And there's a ledge, and it's got a big platform. It's like, you know, two and a half, good solid two and a half feet wide or something, plenty big for like somebody to stand on. And we covered it with black velvet. Mariano was going to stand up there, and then we have all starting from the outfield forward and then going all the way back to home plate. We have the whole Yankee Stadium for this beautiful picture. All set. Mariano's good. Everybody's good. Walter's good. PR guy shows up and said, Nope, you're not letting him stand up on this thing. And I was like, in my head, I'm like, this is one of those times I have no plan B because Mariano said he would do it. And that was it. Yeah. And then fortunately, Walter Yost has a relationship with Mariano and he's mentioned something to Mariano who says, nods his head and goes to talk to the PR guy. And then Mariano just jumps up on the ledge and we do the photo. But that, that's a good example of how it could very easily just break down because the PR guy uh, or whoever's doing PR for a team or whatever. I mean, their job is obviously, you know, different. Sometimes it's counter to us, but um, uh, and it's difficult enough because they have a lot of things to juggle. But they said no. And if they say no, you can't like force, you can't argue with them. It's too much. You know, at some point you got to think of something else to do. But yeah. it does come up all the time. And the key to that is really not to worry about the fact that it came up. You can almost anticipate it coming up just have a plan B and adjust and always be polite and respectful and smile. And eventually yeah. it, it, it works out eventually. You, know? yeah, it's you like, just have to figure it out. Yeah. Like sometimes you got to push. It's like reading the room. Like sometimes you can like push those yeah. PR people and get what you need, but then other times you can't. So it's like this gentle dance of like, all right. You do totally. And you have to also figure out who the player is, you know? And yeah. if he's a first year player out of Arkansas and he was drafted in the ninth round, he has no pull whatsoever, you know? <laughs> no. And if it's Eli Manning, you could say, Hey, Eli, could you do me a favor? And then he could talk to the PR guy and it'll get done. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you have, that's the, you're right. Absolutely right. Reading the room is essential. And, you know, knowing your players. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of that simple, but you know, yeah. that's, that's part of the job and whoever's there has to facilitate and make it work. Cause nobody wants to hear it didn't work for these reasons. They just want the photo. You yeah, know? exactly. That, that's yeah. your job. And if you can't come up with the photo, then you're not going to find another again. job. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's it. 
Yeah, 100 percent. Um, so when you kind of got out of college, what was kind of your first step into like the photo industry, I guess? Did you kind of just go straight into like photo editing or what was kind of your first gig, I guess? Yep. I moved, uh, well, obviously I moved straight to New York City. And then my first job um, was with a magazine called Circus Magazine. And Circus Magazine was, I guess it still is, but it was primarily a rock and roll magazine for like 12 year old boys. That's what it was for. You know, had a lot of interesting graphics and a lot of like, hey, best guitar player of all time. You know, every, like, every week there's the best like guitar player band, of all time. Hair bands and stuff. Back in the day, yeah. You know, it was a lot of Ozzy Osbourne when I was working with him and stuff like that. And, yep. you know, and, and I started as low as I could possibly start. If there was a masthead, I literally was the last person. And next to my name, it had the word staff. They didn't even, didn't even have a description of what I did. It didn't say assistant or anything. It just said staff. I mean, I answered the mail. I went to the bank to do deposits or whatever. I took photos and put them in a package and returned them back to photographers. I was doing clerical stuff for sure as a starter. And I so think then, I, I saw an interview even before that. I think you worked as a bike messenger for a while. Like I think. Oh, you, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I, I really appreciate those stories because sometimes you like read interviews with people and they're like, yeah, I just like got to New York and I just like. Oh, no, 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 no. But it's like, yeah, because same thing with me, man. Like I worked like restaurants. I worked at like warehouses and I was getting gigs right. here and I'm working. So I think. I, I, I think it's important to like talk about those things because it's not, it, it's like a real building block to get to. Where yeah. I didn't mean to gloss over the bike messenger issue <laughs> for sure. I was going to jump in straight to photo, but when yeah. I first moved to New York, I mean, the, the story is, and I've told it a few times, but I had literally $400 in my pocket <laughs> and in New York city, that doesn't go very far. I got to tell you, <laughs> I don't care how cheap you want to live. $400 doesn't last long. And you're staying in like the worst hotels like per night because you can't even afford, you don't have money like to put a, get an apartment because you don't have enough money for a deposit and a first month's rent and stuff. Yeah. So I'm like staying in crappy hotels and eating 99 cent pizza and stuff. And the bike messenger gig was cool because it gave me obviously a perspective of two things. One, it made me realize there is no way I'm going to quit and move back to Florida without making this work. I'm going to make this work. So you like wanted to get out of Florida. You're like, I'm done with yeah. Florida. I love Florida. Listen, I like going <laughs> back to visit. My family's still there. Like, you know, everybody I went to high school is still there. And I mean, I love them and it, it's yeah. all good and stuff. But for me personally, it was more like the representation of if I went back to Florida after going to New York and it was an absolute failure, I yep. couldn't, I couldn't take it. So there was no way I was going to quit. There's no way I was going to not make it. So I kept doing the bike messengers thing. My bike got stolen and there's nothing worse than being a foot messenger in New York because you get paid like a 10th as much because you get paid per job. Yeah. And, and if you're walking or riding a subway, you don't get as much as a bike guy, you know? So it's very humbling to say the least. It's hard work. You barely get by. You're still looking for a job. I mean, the, the two things you learn is like, you know, if you're really nice to people, they'll let you use the bathroom. And if you're really nice, they'll let you use the phone because this was before <laughs> cell phones too. Yeah. So, yeah. So like that kind of stuff is, it sounds silly, but I learned later in life, that whole thing about the bathrooms. I mean, whoever's at that front desk, that woman or that man or whoever's sitting at that desk, they have the key to that whole building, you know, mm -hmm. they'll either let you in or they'll kick you out. Yeah. Now, since 9-11, I think messengers go to like a different part of the building and they go underground and they drop stuff off and leave. So it's not as interactive as it used to be. Yeah. But the thing was that it made me learn and, and realize that 
you know, people have jobs and you have to be respectful of their jobs. And yes, she's answering the phones, but that's her job. Yeah. And you can't like belittle her or whatever, because I need to use the bathroom. <laughs> and so later in life, you learn like as I'm working and going to venues all over the world, the key to everything is the security guard. You know, you can say what you want. I have a pass that allow me pretty much everywhere. You know, that's the kind of how the credentials work and it's all good. But once in a while, you come up against something where you need to get somewhere where your pass won't let you in. Yeah. And then I flash back 10 years earlier where I'm asking somebody to use the bathroom because I'm just being polite and respectful and smiling. And they say, okay, you can go. And if you can relate to the security guard who's just doing his job, you know what I mean? Yeah. I've seen so many photographers and writers getting these arguments and whatever. And it's like all ego and stuff. It's like, you, you, it's a win, no win situation. Number one, it's probably yeah. in a foreign country. So nothing's translating the way it's supposed to anyway. Yeah. And you don't get anything. Now you're just stuck because you're just being nasty because you can't take a minute. So I remember what I learned then and transferred it later. And it's gotten me a lot of places. I've gotten into places I probably wasn't supposed to get into because I had enough sense to just be polite, respectful, and try to connect with the person I'm talking to for a minute, you know? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not greater than you because I work at Sports Illustrated or whatever. No. You know, it's it's just I have a job and you have a job. Yeah, we're all we're, we're on this it. we're on this crazy train called life and man, it's just trying to let's keep keep it running smooth, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's it. Just trying not to derail the guy, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, and you're at Circuits magazine like did you have like a goal in mind was like working at SI was that like always a dream or like yeah my first goal was to get out of Circus Magazine because because <laughs> I'm answering the mail so then I went to uh, John Wiley which is a textbook company they do college textbooks yeah and it was kind of the same thing but it was a little more corporate it's a much larger company you know Circus was just a small little mom and pop magazine thing um, John Wiley was a large company went in and I started to return photos and look at images when they came in a little more and sort them. So I was learning a little more. And from that job, that's where I got a job at Sigma, which is S-Y-G-M-A is how it was spelled. And it was a photo agency back in the day when they had Gamma Liaison and Black Star and Sigma. They were all the ones that gathered all the news photos from around the world. And then they sold them oh, to the so magazine. It's like a wire, was wire service. It's like a wire yeah, service. Yeah, it's like the, basically the way the wire services work now before there was the digital aspect of it now. That's so, interesting. So how would people, yeah, because this is before like I got into the business. So like now people just go on Getty or whatever yeah. wire services and they can look at thousands of pictures. But like back then when like people needed to get photos, like how would they even know what's out there? So the majority of the, of the magazines, number one, they're in New York City. That's 80% of the publishing business right there. All yeah. these photo agencies, they're in New York City. So what they would do is they would collect their images from around the country, put them on an airplane and send them to New York overnight process the film, put the slides together, somebody makes an edit, then those photos get delivered or from New York or from Paris actually used to take an airplane. It was called the Concorde, which would fly in this record time to New York City on this, um, the film get delivered, it gets processed. And you have literally slide sheets with 20, 40 pictures in it, whatever number of slide sheets. And you say, this is Prince whoever, you know, and Princess of Monaco or something, and these are some photos, or this is famine in South Africa or something, you know, they would give the photos to us. And we'd have like, so now you have like a 48 hour turnaround from the time they were taken till they're in New York. Damn. Then I physically would visit 
Time Magazine, New York's Newsweek Magazine, Money show, Magazine. And you just show them, like, what do you, got, you guys want this? You want this? And That's how it worked. You just, you had a standing call. You showed up and you, you pulled them out of your backpack. It's like selling sandwiches or something. It's I got, literally I got just turkey short of, roast <laughs> Yeah, literally just short of selling that, uh, back, vacuums or something. It wasn't much different than that. Wow. And you had editors that you went through. I know that she does celebrity stuff, so I'm showing her Princess Diana, right? And then this other photo editor does all news. I'm showing them the famine and an earthquake or whatever. And then this does sports, so whatever. So you would go to the different places and literally show slides. You basically stood at their desk and really quickly they took a loop and they held it up to the light and they'd look at pictures and then they would either buy them or not buy them on the spot. And that was how you sold the news stuff. And that's how you made most of the money. Wow. So, that's yeah, I was there for four years. Elian Lafont ran it. She's still around and she's like the wonderful, you know, very famous and, and well-known photo editor, husband's famous photographer. And, and she can teach you the business in two seconds and she can eat you for lunch in about two <laughs> seconds too, if you're not careful. Yeah. Um, Kathy Ryan, the longtime photo editor, New York Magazine, New York, uh, New York Times Sunday Magazine, yep. um, uh, was somebody I worked with for the first couple of years before she left to go to the magazine. So I learned a lot from her. Mm. I mean, those were two big uh, influences in the beginning. But yeah. that's how the photos went. They were slides, and then seems like I walk of, them over to these magazines. Yeah, you guys, the, the amount of lists, like times, like on logistical stuff, like you're shipping all over the place, and you got to organize them. Yeah, mags. but don't forget that it's a true weekly. There's no website. There's oh, no yeah. nothing that requires 24 hour content that true. has to be churned out and changed. It's mm -hmm. a magazine, and mm -hmm. it closes on whatever Friday, and it's in your mailbox on Monday. Yeah, so I mean, true. you know, you have until Thursday night to show them the images. So that's. It seems like it's all like a lot of stuff like that, but it's, you have literally an entire week yeah, to it's kind a system. of get it ready. Yeah, you got yeah, a system. Yeah. And um, then it changed, obviously digital later changed everything, but that's how it was when I first started, so. And like, what, what type of skills do you think like someone needs to have to be a photo editor? And like, do you feel like it, like when you're first getting into it, did it kind of take you a while to get comfortable in the role that you're doing? Obviously it's changed over the years, but like, what's like the building blocks, I guess, of being a good photo editor, you think? I would say the number one to me, the number one criteria is having an open mind about photography mm -hmm. and not just like, this is the only kind of photography I can store. It's the only kind I like, or even if you're not a photographer, which is a lot of photo editors, they're not really photographers. They're just visually, yeah. you know, pretty skilled at things is you have to understand that there's multiple platforms and markets out there for every images. So you have to, your brain's kind of working this will work here, this will work there, this could still work here, I'm gonna hold this for later because I bet they could use it here. And you have to kind of let your brain really be open to the opportunity that the image can find a home somewhere. Mm -hmm. And if you can let that go, all your misconceptions probably and preconceived notions about imagery that like there's an opportunity for images somewhere that's your job is to find the somewhere where it could go. And that's what makes a good photo is being open-minded and then the second part, obviously, is to recognize that moment, right? Because if I show you 10 photos, there's one smile that's different than the other nine, and that's the one. Mm -hmm. And there's one guy who's hitting a ball with a baseball bat, and there's one frame where that's the frame. I mean, you can just tell after a while, and you just know it, which is the it photo, you know? Mm -hmm. And I don't know that it's something that necessarily you can describe as much as you have to feel it inside, you know? And the one that 
the one that moves you and makes you feel like, oh, I connect this person, that smile makes me swoon, like, or whatever, then that's the picture I want to pick because I want people to feel that about the photo. So, you know, uh, open-mindedness and then kind of an ability to look at images and just be able to select and to coordinate a lot of different platforms all at once and be able to organize that in your head. Very important. I feel like you feel like this knowing the history of photography is pretty important, even not even just the like the modern day photographers, but just the people that came beforehand is yeah. like a, a asset to like what you guys do pretty much. Yeah. And I think that, you know, especially if you've chosen an area you want to work. I mean, if you realize that fashion is where you want to work, for instance, and you spend 30 years working at, you know, at uh, Vogue or something. Um, Glamour and Vogue and those two places, you know, then that's where you can concentrate your energies and your bandwidth could go in there. And that makes perfect, you know, and, and knowing what came before you, absolutely, it's hugely important. And I learned a lot of that about sports because being at Sports Illustrated, which is in essence, kind of the history of sports photography is pretty much Sports Illustrated. Yeah. Um, and some other places chip in, but I mean, the bulk of it is definitely at some point in history was Sports Illustrated. So learning about... <clears throat> these photographers that were either the end of their career when I started there or came before me, never met them or whatever, knowing about them, very important because, you know, nobody likes to reminisce and go back and talk about the, the great days and anniversaries more than sports does, you know? So it's, it's not like that never comes up. They're always going to say, Hey, it's the 34th anniversary of Hank Aaron's home runs. Like, oh, that's okay. like, that's then, like some of my favorite stuff is like when magazines pull like old photos, like, like has yeah. done that plenty of times where they'll do a story from like looking back in the day, because like, you know, yeah. I didn't grow up in that time period and I didn't know those photographers. So it's just kind of eye opening right. for, for, I think any viewer really. And it probably sparks some kind of memory in your head, you know, I mean, unless you just literally don't follow whatever that subject matter is, which is certainly possible. Mm. Sports is one of those things, even if you don't follow it now, you might remember when you were nine, your dad loved the Pittsburgh Pirates or something. And suddenly you see a picture of Roberto Clemente and you're not even sure why, but it makes you feel good because, oh yeah, my dad loved that. You know, there's always kind of this connection, even if it's direct or indirect. And I think sports photography really kind of resonates with people that way. Yeah, definitely. It's like, at least for me, sports is like a, it's like a getaway thing from like your stress of your daily life. And it's just like an exciting thing. It's just like, I hear you. It's like a hobby, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Listen, there's always a game on, (laughs) well, maybe not right now, but normally in life, there's always a game on, you know, and I find the same thing and that same kind of connection with the WWE mm-hmm. where I have so many people tell me yeah I don't follow it now but you know when I was a kid and I get that conversation a lot and I think yeah. we all kind of do and part of it is deflecting that you don't want to say that you're watching it now I guess or something but yeah. um, uh, I think they have a warm feeling for it because when they're kids it's rich you know that's really Dude, a lot of I our went, audience I, I went as the ultimate warrior for Halloween like two or three times as a kid See? <laughs> I mean you can't beat that story right there right I could stop right now I might as well don't even go forward that's pretty yeah. awesome story but yeah I, I get that a lot where people they watched it as a kid maybe they still do and when they turn it on you know they have these memories kind of like sports in general or oh, an old wrestling, movie or an old that, song wrestling, or whatever. wrestling fans are next level like yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I think you know you know the photographer anthony b gathers yeah i know anthony he's the most anybody anthony go, was one of my students at eddie adams years ago amazing photographer anybody go follow him on twitter anytime there's a wrestling like a monday night raw or whatever yeah. he's just like live tweeting it he's like the most you know, diehard Anthony and I, when when a pay-per-view is on, Anthony and I are texting during the pay-per-view about what's going on. <laughs> and like, yeah, no, Anthony's a good friend. He was actually 
last year was it last year i think yeah a year ago he was at our house for thanksgiving dinner wow uh, and uh, he's, he's a wonderful i love anthony he's a great guy and he's getting a lot of success lately and stuff doing a lot of stuff and i'm really proud of him he's yeah a great definitely guy. but yeah he's hardcore like he's totally into the wrestling stuff and oh big time. uh they're gonna pop for this guy and this guy's <laughs> definitely gonna lose tonight and i'm like awesome we're like texting back and forth during the big shows and stuff yeah I'll yeah. send him a picture of me at WrestleMania waving to him. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, he shot a little bit for me, a couple of, couple of things, small, oh, yeah. smaller things and whatever, but he's definitely been an extra guy I've used a couple of times because yeah. he's a good worker on top of being a good guy. Oh, 100%. And uh, so how do you finally end up getting to SI? And once you got there, like what kind of stuff were you working on? Because like I would imagine there's yeah. like, a bunch of photo editors at that point there. There's like they had their whole Yeah, staff. for sure. They had a whole stable of staff and they were on board. And each one of the, um, as you can imagine, each one of the photo editors was attached to a particular sport. Yep. Hi, I'm the pro football editor. I am the college basketball editor. I mean, that's how it works mm -hmm. for the major sports, right? Yep. Um, so then I was first given a job after around the Audubon time or whatever. Somebody had recommended me for a project at Sports Illustrated. And it literally was called the weeding project. Like, like you weed your yard, that kind of stuff. And back in the day when they were shooting slides, Sports Illustrated decided we're going to have you shoot a game. We're going to get your 40 rolls of film and we're going to pick a bunch and those are going to get scanned and we're going to put them in the system and our selects and all the other slides are going to go back in those little white Kodak boxes and they're going to be put in another box and they're going to be put down in the basement somewhere and they'll just live there forever. And we'll never ever in the history of time run out of space. Yep. So you fast forward years later and they're like, wait, we're running out of space. <laughs> so they hired four guys. Um, uh, Ronnie Pledge was one of them. His, his father started um, Contact Press Images. Wow. <laughs> and then Donnie Mann was another guy. He was a photo editor in New York for a while. Now he lives out in Seattle. And then there's another buddy of ours, David Fisher. And the four of us sat around a room. I want you to picture this for a minute. There's four guys, four sports loving good guys sitting around looking at the greatest sports photography on the planet and deciding these hundred photos by Heinz Klutmeyer are going to be shipped back to Heinz Klutmeyer. We don't think they're worthy and we're going to get rid of them <laughs> and send them back to Heinz, the Heinz Klutmeyers of the world or the Walter Yoses or Neil Leifer or whatever. And we're going to give them all their outtakes. And we reduce the size of this physical content in order to physically make room for stuff. That was my first thing. And then uh, Phil Jackie was the deputy photo editor at Sports Illustrated for years, longtime photo editor at Sports Illustrated. DOP at one point and he's had a lot of jobs there over the years and he offered me an opportunity to come in and edit a football game like on a Sunday hey you want to just let's see how it goes and if it works out uh, we'll talk to you or whatever and he invited me in and I edited some, some football and I guess it went okay because then they invited me another weekend to come in and edit. like I'm still like you know bike messengering and whatever at the time I didn't really have a job you know yeah. and I'm still kind of like in between or working wherever trying to do this. And he said, do you want to come in again? I came in a second time. That was great. So it kind of went pretty well. And then this great thing happened where he asked me to come in on a Saturday. There's no film to look at. I say, yeah, what do you need me to do? He goes, yeah, you just, uh, just make sure you wear a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and, and, and just come in for a few hours on Saturday. And I said, okay. You know, I'm like just dumb enough and young enough. So yeah, okay. You know, so I go into this building. It's just me and him in a time life building. Like the whole building's empty. 
and he says, I got to move all these boxes from this floor to this other floor. Can you help me? And I said, yeah, sure. So we like moved boxes for like 10 hours. You know, we ordered like sandwiches and ate lunch on the floor. And, and then I went home. And then those opportunities to edit films started coming more frequent. And eventually they offered me a freelance job. Oh, so wow. now fast forward like a year or two. And I said, Phil, so remember years ago with that whole boxing, I said, what was up with that? Did you, did you like somebody didn't show up or something? He goes, no, I just wanted to see if you would do the work and not complain about the work because I don't want to yeah. work with anybody that doesn't want to just work no matter what the work is. And I said, oh, so it was like a test. It wasn't even like he didn't even need to move boxes. He probably moved them back after I left. Yeah. But it was like, you learn that like, that's, again, we go back to things at one point, like wax on, wax off, you know, these things have a role and a reason. And I learned to be nice to the people because that's how you should be anyway, to somebody answering the phones. So you can use the bathroom that carries over years later as I'm talking to a security guide in Russia for some story. Right. Yeah. And now I've got a guy telling me years later, I just asked you to come in to do the work to make sure you weren't a whiny guy who complains about actually working. Yeah, Either like, you want to work and have a good work ethic or you don't. Take any opportunity you can get like yeah. this to get in the door and make that connection and yeah, like and, whatever. Yeah. And to this day, when I hire photographers and when I hire photo editors, when I work with people, if the first thing out of their mouth is like the complaining about, yeah, well, there's nowhere to park there or like, well, how much does it pay? And, and maybe that's, are you going to give me, like if all your conversations heading in those directions, I'm like, nope, don't want to work with you. And it's all <laughs> from those lessons I learned from Phil. And yeah, there's, I mean, they're seriously true. And if you want to work with people that want to work hard and don't complain about stuff too much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that me personally, maybe some no, people definitely. like working with people. No, definitely. Like could being around people that complain, it just like brings your mood down. Anybody's had jobs like that where you're working with yeah. people. That are and miserable. there's always one person like they can't shut the heck up, you know, and they're like, still complaining when they get home that night. You're like, Ugh, I yeah. can't tell you, it's exhausting. So, yeah. you know, I, it's, I, these are all kind of things I learned. And then uh, that's, freelance position and turned into a staff position and they gave me a staff job and I stayed there for a few years and and had a great time it was great like these are tremendous photo editors that I worked with and and uh, directors and the magazine was filled with these legends the building was filled with these legends literally you like know. who are who are some of the photographers like you say you're editing football is that kind of what you're yeah doing? so Johnny Iacono and Manny Milan and Peter Reed Miller wow and uh, um, uh, Richard Maxson was there back in the day and Al Thielmans was starting out back then um, uh, later on Bob Rosado and and um, uh, Robert Beck John McDonough was like the best basketball photographer on the planet David Clutho was in hockey I mean they yeah. had a heck of a stable well, going I, you know? I always wondered that with SI because they had at one point so many like staff photographers I guess like what was like the mindset behind that and like how would they decide who was going to be a staff photographer because a lot of magazines they just kind of you know just hire freelance and contract people yeah. out but si it seemed like a, a large part of their history was like hey we have these guys and yeah. this, they're part of our team i think part of that is it was a timing um mentality as well that was part of the timing profile so time magazine had staffers mm-hmm. they've had staffers people sports illustrated i mean not every magazine did but they all a lot of them had a couple or a bunch sports illustrated had probably more than most of them but timing you know in general had staffers and they just looked at them as, listen, they're original content providers. They're working regularly. We should have them on staff, pay them benefits and give them a 401k. Why not? You know, they're, yeah. 
they're no less uh, valuable than the writers that, that sit around. So what's the difference? Mm -hmm. The criteria was a, they had to be all around good photographers. They could shoot a portrait as well as a action game and they could float from sport to sport if needed. Yeah. Even though they end up specializing later and you realize this guy's really good at this, this, and this, yeah. they could all do almost any sport. Yeah, it's a, that's what I always notice because like I've had a, a few of the SI guys on, like I've had Walter on and Simon Broody and yeah. Simon Broody's one of those guys who can like bounce between like being a really good action sports photographer and yeah. doing portraits and like not and everyone work. And not everyone can do that. Like myself, I shoot sports, but I don't really shoot like action and I'll never say that's like not like what I do. But yeah. it's, it's really interesting when you see someone who can like do all three of those things well. Yeah, and almost, I, not every one of them fell in that category, clearly, yeah. but, but almost all of them did. And that's Simon. And Simon's at the elite level of that. I mean, he's a, a really elite example of that. But Damien Strohmeyer in Boston is another one. He's like tremendously talented. And you could send Damien to somebody's house and you get a beautiful portrait. Mm -hmm. Then you can send Damien to a game and you'll get as good action as anybody in the country. And a lot of the SI guys fell into that category, you know, and where they could do multiple things. But like I said, they could also do different sports. Yep. There's no sport. I could send Simon Brewery to any game on the planet in any sport and he would come home with good photos. Even if he'd never even been to that kind of game before, he would figure it out and take great photos because yeah. he just would. And yeah. I think a lot of the SI guys kind of fall into that category. Also, the other thing to understand is geographically. I mean, you know, I can't have, or no magazine could, not just me, but Sports Illustrated couldn't have seven of them and they're all in California. That would be stupid. Yeah. You know, so you've got Northeast, you've got Florida, you've got California, you've got Midwest, and that's kind of the country right there, you know, and, and that's where they were. They were spread out kind of in those major four regions all over. And the, you know, depending on the year were how many were there, but it's, it's, it was an honor to work with those guys. They were the best. And yeah. uh, that's when, you know, magazines carried a lot of weight and it was just a magazine. And again, there's a magazine comes out once a week. Yeah. Cause SI, they were doing like, they were doing, I've had a subscription, like my family's had subscriptions our entire lives and they were doing yeah. was, it was uh was it every week there's SI and then at one point there was like SI kids there was like all these like special edition yeah. issues there was like so many like so much content like magazine wise coming. yeah you know at some point they're trying to kind of like maximize the uh, um, yeah. you know the revenue generation which I totally understand but yeah. uh, the great thing about Sports Illustrated working there when I first started was it closed on Monday nights right mm -hmm. because all sports are on the weekends or 80 percent of them based yep. on the weekend schedule. So you'd work Monday and Tuesday, you'd be off Wednesday, you'd work Thursday and Friday or, you know, that kind of thing. And then you'd work on the weekend or whatever, you know, you didn't, you worked a different kind of schedule, but on Sunday you would come in and you would edit all this college and pro football, for instance, or basketball. And you work late Sunday night till like midnight or something. Then you come in Monday and it would all come together and people would put together the magazine. Then on Tuesday, you get a copy of the magazine and you're just sitting there like looking at a magazine that you worked on. We, like 24 we made hours it another early. week. We made it another week. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> and you see how your photos are used and then, and, and all that kind of stuff. And you take pride in like, Oh, my sport got a cover or whatever. And yeah. you know, I did college basketball um, and pro football. So I got a lot of, I got a lot of love because those are two really popular sports, especially pro football. So yeah. um, uh, there was no shortage of uh, pages for everybody, but it was a fun place to work. I really yeah. enjoyed it while I was there. And, uh, you know, cause I know you ended up working there, I think three different times. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, 
And I was really interested in talking to you about like covering the Olympics because that's just such yeah. a, a unique experience. I would imagine a lot goes into that because there's so many moving parts. Uh, what do you kind of remember about for uh, covering your first Olympics, kind of photo editing that? Like, yeah. So I did story. nine Olympics altogether, wow. and um, uh, at various times in my career. So what I remember starting out was I was a member of a team at the Olympics. Like yeah. you know, there was there was a lot of people there. I was just like a spoke in a wheel, right? I was just literally churning through phone. And it was when we had film, so there were slides. So I'm literally looking at, you know, pictures on a loop, on a, with a loop on a light box, you know? So, and then keeping what we want, putting the other ones back in the box, the usual kind of thing. And you were just part of a team and you were just putting together, there was so much coming in photographically. It just had to be filtered out you know we've so been to but they the, have like a lab set up at the yeah. like village so they, they could do like e6 nay yep. wow yep so they would set up a lab uh, kodak or fuji or whoever the sponsor is that's working the olympics and that's the film you used yeah. and then yeah they would process the film you'd go to the lab pick it up you'd bring it back hey i have all the men's 100 meters and the marathon and the women's cycling and and they start handing out bags of film and everybody grab a bag and they edit and they just I, you know, it goes so fast. It's over before you know it. And it's, but it goes on for like 17 straight days, the Olympics. It's, it's crazy. It's like, you don't get much sleep. You all work together and you better love each other because you're going to be together a lot, like more than you've ever been together with anyone in your entire life. Cause it's like, <laughs> you know, it's like 18 hours a day, every day. And it's for like 17 or 18 straight days. And you start out with these opening ceremonies and you're super pumped and then you finish with the closing ceremonies. You can't wait to get home. So it's like all these different emotions are flying through you. Yeah. And in the meantime, you're seeing the best imagery in the world. But here's the best part to me was you're in the media center for the Olympics. Olympics always have two separate media centers. There's one for television and then there's one for everybody else. Yeah. So TV has all the people with TV rights and networks all over the world, and blah, blah, including the, the major networks that are covering the Olympics and then all the local feeds and so forth. They have their own media center. Then print magazines, newspapers, all that kind of stuff, wire services, they have a separate media center. And the media centers are like these cities, like they're literally like a city. I mean, there's every food you could want is in there. There's bathrooms, there's showers, there's like places you can take a nap. There's places you can go get a massage, you know, if you need to get a kink out of your neck or whatever. I mean, there's no reason. They make it so, yeah, you don't have to leave if you don't want to. And like being in that was like two and a half weeks of seeing people from all over the planet. You know, you walk by and this guy is, oh, I work for a Russian magazine. I'm like, there are Russian magazines? I mean, you know, like, it's like a big giant kind of uh, uh, potpourri of the world's press is in there. People, you're eating at McDonald's and you sit next to some guy from Brazil, you know, yeah. he's like there by himself because he works for a small company and they're the only person he sent. And you're like, wow, you know, and it's, it's great stories and you make a lot of friends and meet a lot of people and it's fascinating work. I, I, cannot tell you how fortunate I've been to be able to do these things. And that was yeah. definitely one of the highlights was the Olympics. And did you find was, was, was covering the winter or summer Olympics was one harder than the other? Or was there any like, yeah. So the summer Olympics is like four times bigger than the winter Olympics. It's like, yeah. it's like massive, right? Yeah. It's the difference between Christmas and your birthday. <laughs> I mean, they're both really important and fun and you get presents, but <laughs> there's really no, there's really no comparison between those two things globally. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of the winter and the summer, but it's, so after a while, you like the summer. It, it also, I think, has a lot to do with two things. One, what city you're in yep. or what country. And number two, 
you either like certain sports or you don't, you know, at some point you realize, yeah, I don't even like a lot of winter sports or I don't know much about them or whatever. You don't, you don't like, Florida. you don't like, you don't like curling, Brad, man. I grew up in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what curling? I still don't understand curling. I've been to nine Olympics. I still don't understand curling, but you know, you realize that you kind of gravitate towards certain things that you like. I like swimming. I like yeah. volleyball, you know, whatever track and field. Those are the things I like. And, the winter though because it's in a smaller city almost always a more intimate surrounding like Lillehammer and albertville france and these places you know that i, I was able to spend time small little winter villages that put on olympics and you kind of like it because it seems more intimate and a little quieter and a little slower the summer olympics are so big there's no way you're getting through all of it you know and there's no way you can know everything about everything. It's just too much stuff to handle. Yeah. But the logistical meetings that are put together by publications and photo editors and writers and all those groups, it's a lot of stuff to go through because it's every minute has to be accounted for. You're talking about transportation issues in a foreign country. You're talking about accreditation. Who's going to get in? Where am I going to park? How do I get there? How do I meet you? I don't even speak the language. And I have to interview this guy. You're talking about having no access to the Olympic villages. So how do I get the athletes to come out? Yeah. You're talking about competing with photographers from all over the world. And at some point, you know, some of them, but not like when you go to a football game and you know all of them, you know? Yeah. So it's, it's a real kind of mass intrusion on everybody involved and the people that are really organized and then also react to the news and stay because always something happens you didn't anticipate right mm -hmm. i mean who anticipates a swimmer in brazil saying oh i got beat up and that's uh, why i was late or something You're like wait what yeah and then you know then then ryan lucky somebody you know somebody like that he's suddenly being suspended you're like what the hell is he even talking about yeah you know great. and it's like all this kind of stuff happens at some point because that's how stories work and they just kind of take over their own life and then you got to react to it i was in atlanta when the bombing went off i was literally was out having dinner when the bombs went off there Jeez. in atlanta so i mean that's kind of stuff happens and I was in Athens when they had these kind of anti-American riots uh, based upon U.S. policies and stuff. And mm -hmm. suddenly I was with Vincent LaFerre and we were covering like a riot and, you know, I got hit in the head and <laughs> in the middle, I got caught between the police and these anarchists. And like two days later, I'm in the hospital with a concussion. It's, it's, like, like, it's, it's, just, it's, like, put, it's like putting out fires, like actually looking, yeah. at, looking at photos and editing through photos is like a small part of your actual job. It sounds like it's just... Uh, it's, yeah. Yeah. And I'd, all I want to do is watch a guy run nine and a half seconds, the length of a football field, instead of get hit in the head with a piece of a <laughs> brick or something. But yeah, the photo editing part, like anything else in life, it becomes the small part of the day, you know, all the logistics and getting stuff ready and making sure that everything is set. That's the larger part of the yeah, day. That's the so, job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the and WWE is no different. I, I do the same thing with them, even though it's a TV show and we're in these venues and stuff still a lot of logistics involved you know we're in a different venue all the time when it's a non-covid season you know we're we're going yeah how is how has that been like have you guys still been because i know you guys have like a, i think a few staff photographers that like shoot the events mm -hmm. and stuff yeah like we have two staff and then we have a you know a, a, a number after that a dozen or so around the country and then a couple places around the world where we have you know, they're just contract staff, uh, fr uh, freelance photographers rather, and they, they've worked for us a long time and they're, they're all really wonderful and professional and great at what they do. Super talented group. Um, and so now we're in Orlando. We've been in Orlando for a few months. Oh, so um, it's, it's a, I didn't realize that it's a bubble. So they got the... 
Uh, kind of. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah. in one location. We, there's, there's nowhere, there's no reason for us to go to venues outside if we can't have fans in there at this point, I guess. So um, our real goal is, is just put on our shows and try to, you know, keep our show going on television because um, uh, the television shows are fun to watch. We have a great audience. We've got dedicated fans. We're just trying to put a show on for them every week. So yeah. we're still doing that. And, and the, the talent has been amazing. It's still trying to perform and entertain people and doing a great job and we cover that um but it's just all based out of one location in orlando lately and uh, like i guess what kind of photography are you kind of like producing down there is it just the action because i've had i had christine riley on here a couple of years ago and she was still at wwe and she was yep. doing more like the like stylized production like yeah so stuff. christine worked for the magazine when yeah. there was a magazine that no longer exists and then yeah. she went over to essentially the dot-com group yeah. And uh, she did a number of things, but a lot of her stuff that she put together was, was content that my team provided her team. Mm -hmm. Then the stuff Christine was speaking to you about was basically they're producing photo galleries and they have like some kind of thematic photo gallery. Maybe mm -hmm. it's Halloween and they're wearing costumes. Maybe it's the anniversary of something and they're doing this or it's a tribute to somebody and they all talk about their famous, yeah. you know, their, their favorite Andre the Giant stories and, and, there's something like that. So that was a lot of what Christine did. She got a lot of great work out of a lot of great photographers and stuff. But my stuff primarily is, again, I go back to, they have to be able to shoot action. Doesn't matter that it's a TV show. It's still in the same ring as a boxing ring. So you yeah. have the limitations of that. And I have grown men and grown women running back and forth, jumping in the air, flying over the ropes, doing all these amazing physical activities. Not, not just like, grown men, gigantic grown men. These guys large are large <laughs> grown men. Yeah, exactly. Like in shape beyond anybody's and they're incredibly athletic, you know, and they, they kind of tell these stories in these rings and these little vignettes where they get in and they have a match and, you know, it's good versus evil and they have these great matches and they, they real, literally try to tell a story during the yeah. match, you know, and, there's all that part of it. And so my photographers have to not only have the action um, talent to photograph of somebody flying over the ropes, they also have to be able to understand this is a key moment. This facial expression kind of sums up his character or her character. And yeah. so knowing the talent and where we're going, because again, it's a TV show, you know, and we have you, characters. Do you, yeah. Do you guys have like, do the photographers get like, cause there's like a script for these things they already know like the wrestlers pretty much know what's going to happen do you guys already have like a game plan you already know like what's going to happen in each we like kind of have a you know i mean there's a general outline of an idea you know i mean it's it's not like they they certainly don't uh, the photographers don't have any great depth given to them by people producing the matches other than is yeah. this person versus this person mm -hmm. and if something out of the ordinary is going to happen they might get a heads up you know yeah. uh, like uh, somebody's going to make a run in from down the street and come into the arena so just be aware of it or something you know i'm just making that up but uh, yeah. for the most part they just follow the action like you and i follow the action if we're watching tv you know yeah. and they don't sit there and know okay now he's going to be doing this it's just you know they have to follow it and that's where the action stuff comes in mm -hmm. and then we set up a studio in every arena that we travel in around the world and around the country rather and we set up a studio and then we take pictures of the talent in studio and that's because there's a constant overlap and turning over of gear i changed the shirt i wear i have a new oh. tattoo i have a different haircut so then I have a different look. So I need new photos to update, you know, their characters. So I need to update them because they have this access um, to uh, change their character or develop a new character or a new look or whatever it is. 
And we need to kind of uh, document that for the, um, all the different platforms at the WWE. So it's, it never really ends in a way. It just kind of keeps going on and on and on because of the show. And it's, it's never boring. It's exciting. And I'll tell you, you, you have kind of one idea in your head about what pro wrestling is until you go to work for a company like the WWE. And then you're like, wow, this is a spot on professional company. They don't screw around. They don't waste time. Yep. They're, they're like up to date. Work ethic is great. Totally professional, really talented corporate stuff. You know, they, it's not like everybody's sitting around in t-shirts and shorts or whatever, like thinking, oh, it's pro wrestling. And you have this idea in your head. Then when you get there, you realize this is a fortune 500 business. Yeah, really there's a reason Vince stuff. McMahon's a billionaire. <laughs> like he's, he well, Cause he's super smart and successful and he has great instincts. And, you know, he surrounded himself with really talented people. And this whole team puts together a product every week. That's, that's amazing. And I tell you the number of photographers I hire from my sports world, you know, outside mm. um, Rod Marr in Seattle is shot for me. Donald Morale out of San Diego, Rob Tringali in New York. You know, and, and I've hired a lot of guys like that to shoot some things for me here and there. Preston Mack in Orlando yep. um, is a guy that I've used and uh, um, I, I bring them in and they're there. Maybe they're there for one show or a couple of shows, but then they're always like, they always pull me aside. Like they're telling me a secret, like, man, these guys, they like each other. They have fun, but they work hard. They know what they're doing. They don't yeah. waste, they got, they've got it on. And I've covered sports events all over the world. And these guys are just as professional as anybody well, I've ever worked with. I yeah, have my think, guys telling me that. I'm like, yeah, I know. Well, that I think the, the WWE puts on more live events than any other like sports league by far. I, I think they think so. Yeah. I think I've read a stat. I think it's like, they do like 300 plus live events a year. It's like, it's insane. Yeah, Cause there's no calendar. There's no yeah. season, you know, yeah, other sports have a season. No. This is my beginning. This is my championship. And then I rest. Yeah, no, And then go, I start again. They go so all year. Yeah. I mean, we culminate. We have WrestleMania in April. And that's yeah. certainly our Super Bowl and our Olympics and our Grammys and Oscars and everything else all rolled into one. Yeah. But it, it's not like then the next week it's over. We after, When the WrestleMania happens on a Sunday in yeah. April, on Monday, we have another live TV show. 24 hours later with this, yeah. a lot of the same people. It's, so it's, it's amazing. It, it doesn't end. Yeah. So, and in terms of like the editorial approach, like I know you, you worked at the New York times, you worked at SI and I, I believe for the most part, they kind of stick to the traditional photojournalism, like ethics in terms of like sure. retouching with the WWE. Is it the same approach or is it more just, is it a different approach since it's just like a company? It's an entertainment company. Yes. You know, I mean, I, it's, it's not so much the details or me telling you stories about images as much as it's an entertainment company, you know, and we're there to make everybody look as, as great as possible. And we're there to sell a product and, and our photography really is part of that lineage of things that, that push the WWE forward and, and make us fan friendly and look, look as a product somebody would want to be entertained by for sure. Yeah. 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 But, it, and it's fun that way. I mean, it's not like anything, there's no weird story that if I told you your head would turn around, it's just, you no. know, it's normal stuff. And yeah, yeah, it, it has different guidelines than the New York times has. Sure. Yeah. No, that's cool. I got to tell you, sports illustrated has massively different guidelines than the New York times. So they're both editorial, but you know, it's, you know, every magazine kind of has its own window and how much it can be opened or closed, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, we are an entertainment company and we photograph our talent and our only job is to enhance them and, and our brand and to make everything look positive and, and make you want to buy a ticket or watch TV or whatever. And, 
I mean, that's the goal, right? It's no yeah. different than a movie company or Disney World or anything else where the, we're there to entertain you. It's not a massive investment for tickets. It's a really good bargain. And you could take your family and go to a show in your city and yeah. have a great night and not be broke the next day. <laughs> yeah. And you have some good memories. That's and, a trip, uh, man. Like, I'm like a huge sports fan. I wanted to go to the Celtics game this year, but it's like, it's like almost yeah. like three hundred dollars to sit in the up yeah. up top. I'm like, fuck that. So like, now, <laughs> now do this. Now you're married and you got two kids. Yeah, it's and, like you, and the four of you bucks. buy tickets, and you want to, and the kids want a t-shirt or they want a foam finger or something, and then you buy some food, and suddenly, you know, that's a massive, massive investment. Yeah, and we can come into a city and offer whatever i mean you know a, a show that lasts for two or three hours mm -hmm. and it's entertaining it lasts basically the same length as a celtics game you yep. know it's in the same arena as the celtics game yeah i mean i don't know how much the food costs so i'm not going to say it's any different but i'm going to do the cost of our ticket is what it is but i know it's it's a really great bargain for what you get which is yeah, a lot of people of putting it all on the line and putting on a good show for a few hours no that's awesome how are you yeah. doing on time you got a couple more minutes are yeah you, i'm good yeah you, yeah, oh, yeah okay cool um yeah i know you, i was excited to talk to you i've been like been going down the the rolodex of all the white the white house photographers and staff and i know you spent some time oh, yeah. there uh i was kind of curious like how that opportunity come about that, that seems like such a yeah that was a weird random thing i gotta tell you so that's that's clinton running for president in, in uh, 1996 right is that the year yeah <laughs> or whenever he ran for president mm -hmm. um 92 96 uh 92 sorry 96 was the second administration so in yeah. 92 he runs for president and i don't know i was just kind of watching and i thought it was interesting and i was watching a press conference with some of clinton's press people that are working for him for well this is while he's still running for president he hasn't won yet mm -hmm. but i'm watching james carville and and that group and they're kind of talking and paul bagala and they're like sitting on the stage and they've got like jeans on and like a Patagonia kind of fleece on. And for the first time in my life, I thought, wow, these are kind of like my peers. They're not like my dad's friends, which is every other presidential, you know, yeah. group that you've ever seen. They're just a bunch of old guys and, you know, you, you can't really relate. You just hope they don't screw it up too badly, you know. Mm -hmm. But then suddenly it's like, wow, these are like people that I could know personally and colleagues and whatever. And I started thinking about it and then I kind of did a little research and I found out when an administration changes, a whole new photo team comes in. And I thought, oh, and I thought this guy could win and then he wins. And so I started making calls and put my resume. They haven't put together a team because they don't even know who's going to win. And I got to tell you, we have enough sense, you and I, to know that if you're a presidential administration coming into D.C., I'm certain photo is not at the top of your list of things you have to worry about yeah <laughs> so that'll take care of itself whenever and somebody else can worry about that i don't really care that's well, probably like some, i think like some like i don't even think jimmy carter had a photographer really yeah i mean there's always a president's photographer what they're allowed to shoot is the yeah. restriction part i mean he had one but it's just didn't have great access because yeah, exactly. carter really wasn't into it yeah but the point is like you know, it's not high on the list. So I knew yep. I had time to kind of apply. Yep. And then I just sent in an application and I kind of figured out who the photographer was going to be through a lot of friends. I called in favors and said, do you know who the White House photographer is going to be? And it led me to a guy named Bob McNeely. Hmm. And then I just called that guy and left a, I got a phone number for him and I called and left a voicemail like every day for like a month. 
and I just kept leaving the same voicemail over and over. Wow, so you were really getting after it. All right. I was totally, totally. And I've done that like three times in my life. That's not my nature to do that like every day, but because <laughs> yeah. it would be exhausting. But I did it once and I left all these messages. Finally calls me back, like after Clinton's been nominated and before the inauguration now. So he's not actually president yet, but he's been nominated. And he calls me back and says, yeah, this is McNeely. What do you want? <laughs> And I, and I, re- I found myself repeating the exact same message I'd left on the phone for 30 straight days. Like, Hi, my name is, I'm like, oh my God, it's the same exact thing. And he goes, yeah, I asked around about you. Can you be in, New- can you be in DC tomorrow? And I said, uh, no, but I can be there the next day. Okay, I'll send you a train ticket. And then that was the end of the call. I was like, okay. Wow. I find out later that the voicemail I was leaving the phone on was like an apartment that he rented on the side, he and his wife. They didn't even live there. His wife just happened to stop by like a month later and Hey, there's this guy that's left like 61 messages wow. on your phone or something. <laughs> Otherwise, I, did, I didn't even have the right number really for direct yeah. contact. But then I went down there and kind of auditioned and whatever. And, and that was cool. And it worked out. And I met Tipper Gore. Wow. And this is another thing where that's the work ethic thing comes in, you know, where like, there's no work I wouldn't do. You know, yeah. there's nothing beneath me, above me, whatever. It's just whatever. Somebody asked me to do something, I'll do it. And Tipper Gore, I met her and she says, oh, you're the photo editor from New York. I said, yes, ma'am, nice to meet you. She goes, I have a show, it's coming up. Can you help me look through my photos? I said, sure. I'm like, okay. Well, Next thing I know, I'm in a so room a- with like Tipper Gore and some guy from Kodak or something. And we're, <laughs> we're going over her campaign photos and I'm like helping her curate the show she had at the National Gallery. And I'm like, this is awesome. And <laughs> then McNeely's calling, where are you? I said, I'm with Tipper Gore in some room. I don't know where I am. And he goes, oh. <laughs> so it was pretty great. They let me edit a lot of campaign stuff. Because then, I, you know, that was it. It en- ended after X number of weeks, the contract they gave me. And it ended, I worked full time in, in New York. And I went there on my two days off. I had two days off in the middle of the week. Okay. I would take the train down to DC and work for like a day and a half and take the train back to New York and work at Sports Illustrated and then go back and forth. Oh, so you were, you were working at the, the White House and SI at the same time? I was working for the transition team, Got which it. is after a president has yeah, won. Yeah, yeah. There's like, you know, until he doesn't get inaugurated till he gets nominated yeah, in yeah, November, yeah. elected in November. Got he it. doesn't have his inauguration till January. So yep. you've got like two months. So yeah, during that time, I was working seven days a week between the two places going back and forth. Got it. And then when that finished, it was like, okay, well, thanks. And we'll let you know. And I said, okay. And I thought, well, I won't get it. But it was fun anyway. It's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. And I'm literally at media day in Los Angeles for a Super Bowl that was out in the LA area years ago so this would have been now january of 93 whatever super bowl that was and i'm sitting at dodger stadium and i'm talking to some guys and then my phone rings and i'm like oh and i i I don't recognize the number i go back to my hotel it rings again and i answer it and says please hold for a call from the whatever and it's like it's the white house transition team offering me a job i'm like wow and i'm like out there working a super bowl and i'm like so excited and so I got the offer from them to come in as a photo editor. And uh, then I guess maybe a couple of weeks later, I moved to DC and that was the end of that. So wow. I, I hung around there for a while. And what's like the day-to-day of that job? Cause I, I know you mentioned Bob McNeely was the photographer. And I believe- yeah, Sharon Farmer, Bob McNeely, Barb Kinney, Ralph Allswing. Those were the four photographers. McNeely was the lead. And then um, the other three were the people that worked for him. Then Callie Shell. Yep. Great photographer, um, amazing, uh, wonderful photographer. She was Vice President Gore's photographer. Got it. So that was kind of the team. They have a smaller team for the VP, but it's the same template, really. Mm. Um, and then the day to day is whatever the president does, we cover it. 
And if he doesn't want us to cover any internal or personal stuff, we don't cover it. How but was, anything how, he does, we cover. How was Clinton overall? Because like, obviously- Very some... receptive and easy to work with, charismatic, loved photography, yep. didn't mind being photographed. It, it was pretty wonderful about it. You know, he's probably like, Reagan was probably like that, I'm guessing. Mm. Um, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think that this president is as excited about it. I don't think Carter was excited about it. No, it was um, uh, Lyndon B. Johnson- I, I'm sure you know of uh, Oki. Uh, that yeah. guy is like, I don't understand how there's not like a photo book of that guy's work. <laughs> it's like very hard to find, but the stuff he yeah. has of Lyndon B. Johnson, like people should right. go check it out. Like right. uh, he legit took photos of Lyndon B. Johnson while he's getting surgery and has an oxygen mask on. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if you, you know, if you just kind of per forget it's there and let them document you for a few years, which is what you should do yep. and not worry about, you know, whether you have an oxygen mask on or not. <laughs> You get what is supposed to be a historical visual record of the presidency. That's mm. all it's supposed to be. Yep. If it ends up becoming a little propaganda, then so be it. If it ends up becoming you know, a photo that nobody ever wants to release because it's too intimate, then so be it. But yep. really, it's a visual documentation of the presidency. Yep. And Clinton was open and everything was good from our end on that. Other yep. than when she was younger and, and, and 12, whatever, 13 years old, Chelsea was not someone we photographed a lot um, okay. because she was a, a young child and they were very protective and very um, uh, kept the bubble that way to keep her away from stuff. And, and so, you know, which is probably very healthy for the child, much, much, much better approach. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, like getting an opportunity. And by the way, I just want to say for, in all fairness, I, I don't see pictures of, of Donald Trump's child, the, the one who still lives no, at home, no. all the place, because they've not really exploited that and allowed him to be photographed. So it, whether that's his wife or him, I don't know. It doesn't matter. But the point is the family made that decision yeah, yeah. And, and both families made the, the right decision. There's no upside to being part of the press room with that with those people with whether it's Barron or whether it's Chelsea it doesn't matter the parents are trying to protect them to some degree yeah 100 percent and like like getting an opportunity to work so closely and getting to see like the day-to-day -day of like yeah. government like happen like in action like what do you think you like took away from that experience because like for most people you're just kind of like seeing the news and yeah. whatever you read in the paper but like you're like you're kind of seeing stuff happen <laughs> like yeah, well, I'll tell you, I, one thing that hit me was that 10 years earlier, I'm like sleeping in my car <laughs> and I have 400 bucks and I'm like sleeping in movie theaters and washing up in the sink in the train station. So it was pretty amazing that 10 years later, I'm wearing a lapel pin that allows me access to the president of the United States. Yeah. So that part was pretty crazy, but, um, uh, and it was certainly eye-opening that that was happening. But what you realize is, A, I can only speak for the president I worked for, but yep. the president is super busy Yep. Works really hard, has a schedule that's jam-packed all day with different things, 10 minutes here, 20 minutes here, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you walk away thinking, I don't know how anybody gets anything done. They're like so busy with things to do, number one. Number two, you walk away sometimes thinking that outside of the beltway, things are not nearly as magnified and blown up and a little more now than then, I would say. But inside the beltway in DC and Maryland and Virginia, inside you know that kind of political area, it's super, everything is super important. We're yeah. trying to pass a bill on how you can make glass. And it's really important because it's going to affect generation like glass. And like, but at that moment, it's like the most important thing in the world to them, you know? Yeah. And, and then you get outside and you realize you go out to St. Louis and like, I don't know anything about that. You know, it's like, it kind of distorts it a little bit, yeah. but at, at the end of the day, you, you're working for somebody who's literally changing the world and he's like making an impact and, 
every president is, good or bad, agree with it or not. They're all making these huge impactful things going forward and you're a part of that. And it's, it's humbling is what it is that, yeah. you know, you're working, you know, for the president of the United States and, and you're just kind of documenting him in a way. So you're not involved in any policy making by any means, but yeah. at the same time, you're there documenting what this president's doing. And it's, it's super humbling because there's not a, a higher calling available than to be the president, I guess, because yeah. it's, you know, you yeah. are, you, you impact not only Americans, but other the countries world. as well forever. Yeah, yeah. The world. and sh- shit you got to meet nelson mandela i think i did it, which i saw the photo was great <laughs> that was super sweet yeah well that was so what happens is that mandela comes to the white house and he's chatting with the president and they have their day and they hook up and do their stuff right and all yeah. that's cool and then the president says like an official presidential goodbye and once he says goodbye that's it mandela could be 30 feet away but you kind of pretend he's not there because he's got other things schedule wise to go on yeah so mandela was still in dc and we had created a photo album. I had designed it and put together based on the photos from the four people I mentioned. And probably Callie was probably part of it too, because it was Mandela. And we created this photo album. Then I took this page, this official page, I had President Clinton and Hillary sign it. And, and then it goes in this book on behalf of the President of the United States, blah, blah, blah. And then somebody had to go give it to Mandela. So the president's office asked me to go over to this hotel, which is literally like 50 feet from the White House. It's across the street. It's called Blair House. Yeah. Where, you know, diplomats and other guests mm-hmm. stay on behalf of the government. And so I walk over there and I go, I've all dressed up and I'm in this receiving line to give the, to give Mandela this gift on behalf <laughs> of President Clinton. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with this? <laughs> Do they got this the right so person? Wrong. They got the right person. <laughs> oh my God. They clearly meant a different Brad, but I'm happy to show up. Right. <laughs> And then like, like Andrew Young is in the line. I mean, all these famous people, they're like deserve to be there. And he comes whirling around. It's like this whole thing takes like a minute from the time he sees you until he leaves you, right? Yeah. And you stand in this line and you're standing next to all these other people who are just there to shake hands and say hello. I give them a gift or whatever, but that's on behalf of the president. And Nelson Mandela looks at me, shakes, first his daughter was with him. She shakes her hand, she goes. Then he comes and he says, so sorry to see you go. This is what he says to me. And to this day, I have no idea what the heck that yeah. means, but it's like, <laughs> it's like the nicest thing anyone ever said to me at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, Wait, am I leaving? Who's leaving? Who, who are you? Wait, what? Did you just but, <laughs> it's, Yeah, it's a broken English. So sorry to see you go line. I was like, I don't know what that means, but awesome. Yeah. And yeah, then I, a- you know, they take your photo because that's what they do. Those are my people taking the photo and I kind of forget about it. Yeah, and then yeah. I get the photo later, and it's pretty awesome. It's going to show you if you leave sixty-five messages on some guy's answering machine, maybe and you one day can meet. Uh, <laughs> one of two things is going to happen: you're going to get this life-changing job, or you're going to have the police call you, and you'll have a restraining order. Yeah, it's one either, of those two. Either, things. either or, either or. Listen, go for it. Cause it's one or the other, right? So yeah, you know, yeah. I also have the creative um, services business that I have, the Brad Smith Creative. Is that yep. okay? We chat about that for a second. Yeah, definitely, man. Yeah, because I was going off that, I was just going to talk to you about, like, you know, because a lot of people who listen to this podcast are like yeah, you know, yeah. photographers and are trying to get their foot in the door. And I know you're very active in like doing portfolio reviews, yeah, uh, all these type of things. And like, yeah, with your creative services, I know you kind of like um, work with photographers, kind of help them edit their book. Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess with that business, what made you kind of want to start that? And what kind of advice would you kind of give to younger photographers, I guess? 
Yeah, you know, it's one of those things where um, somebody actually said to me the other day, one of the people I was speaking to, that like it's, there's a few people doing this kind of photo consulting business thing, and that's what mine is as well, visual consulting or whatever. Mm -hmm. But they were like, it's somewhat kind of replaced the agency as kind of your liaison or your sounding board on how I should do things and what yep. should I do and whatever. And creative people like photographers, you know, they're super talented, super you know great to work with and everything but they have like you know some issues here and there like anyone else like should i do this project or that project which of my images look good it's you know it's a lot of it's a burden for a lot mm -hmm. of people you know it's a lot to go through and everybody kind of needs a village to kind of bounce it out of you know mm -hmm. so my business uh, the brett it's brad smith creative and it's bradsmithcreative.com it's a visual consulting business and i kind of do two things. One is the majority of it. I work individually with photographers. That's the majority of the stuff. And sometimes it's just literally to talk them through like where they want to go, what they're trying to achieve. We have a conversation and we work through it. Then we kind of work maybe on their websites and they're, you know, I'm not changing the font or anything. I'm not a designer, but I can kind of tell you what's going to be impactful and what's yeah. not as far as your website goes. And then the other thing is we kind of talk about how to get your work seen. And then you, you have to have an honest conversation about what your work is. You know, yeah. it doesn't do me good to tell everybody who shoots sports that I speak to. Yes, you should call Getty. I'm sure you'll be working for them next week. Not yeah. fair to come from me and not fair for them to hear. So we kind of have to have that level of conversation about their work, but mm -hmm. it's an honest conversation about how to move forward. And I think more often than not, I'm dealing with photographers that is inevitably gonna happen whether you've worked two years or 20 years, I'm just kind of stuck right now. Yep. I feel kind of like either I wanna make a career path move left or right, or I'm just stagnant at the moment. I get a lot of that and it's, it's just, you need kind of a reboot. You know, we all do. We could all use a little kick in the pants or a boost or a pep talk or whatever it is. And I do a lot of that. And, and even, even just the basic stuff. Cause I get a lot of people with this podcast reach out to me and like, and I, I guess I didn't think about it. Like early on, just like the basic stuff, of like they don't even know how to like get a hold of a photo editor or like, what yeah. do I, what do I say to them in the email? Like, yeah. what do I send them? And it's mm -hmm. like, it's, it's very simple stuff, but like, I, I imagine that's but it's true. Fun. And it's, it, it is simple stuff, but at the same time, it's only simple if you already know it. Exactly. <laughs> it, it's not simple if you don't have it in your head already. And the, and the fact is that I work with a lot of photographers that are kind of in that position. Mm -hmm. I'm a good shooter. I have good stuff. How do I get it in front of all these people? I don't even know them. They won't answer my emails anyway, kind of thing. And we have these conversations. Either I can make the introduction for you on, on certain occasions, but more often than not, it's like build a strategy. You know, I just worked with one guy, really good sports shooter, but he's in a highly competitive market and yep. he has to kind of figure out. And I said, not everything is successful because you've been to Yankee Stadium or Giant Stadium, you know? Yeah. You have like 75 colleges near you, you know? And you could be shooting sports for those guys and people like that. Still make a nice dollar and still keep shooting, which is what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Don't look at it as if I don't get to Yankee Stadium, I've failed, you know? Yeah. It, can't, it can't work that way. So I work with a lot of photographers that way. And, I, and, and if my website is open and somebody could contact me if they want. And, and it's, I think it's really helpful to just have somebody who's been around for a while walk you through the process. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it is, like you said, it's contact stuff. It's how to get shown. It's how to get seen. It's how to meet people, how to network. Where should my work go? It's also a real honest conversation, which you're not going to have with your mom. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not going to have with your partner, whoever that is in life. You know, you're going to have it with somebody outside who doesn't know you from Adam, but can give you an honest assessment of your work. 
Yeah. And that's what visual consultants and photo consultants can do and including myself. And I'm happy to do that. And I like doing it because you feel like a, a little accomplishment where you can move somebody forward. That's all I'm trying to do. Yeah. And, and do you help them at all? Like if people have issues with like, cause I think one thing, I don't think this ever really changes, like mm-hmm. knowing what to charge for your work is like the hardest thing sometimes. And, and like dealing with contracts early on in your career. Yeah. And things like I'm not that. a contract expert necessarily and, and stuff, but I certainly can, I, I, I have kind of an outside team that I, that I can work with if those mm. questions arise. Yeah. I have like a copy editor, you know, someone who, I had somebody who rewrote their entire about page because yeah. it was really, it wasn't clicking at all. You know, I was like, this is not good. I said, you know, yeah. I don't know what it is because I'm not a writer, but I'm going to put you in touch with her and she's going to, so that's my team, you know, yeah. you're big, she you're can big, help you with that. You're big on the about pages. You think that's an important aspect of like the website? I think it can go horribly wrong. <laughs> yeah, when it's like think, when it's like when it's like a five-page essay, that's when the ones that's like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when, and you also have to remember that, like, I think almost everybody, by human nature, undersells what they're worth and what their accomplishments are. True, you know. And if you won a bunch of awards and you've been published here and there. Yeah. yeah, but it was, but I don't want to hear anything. If, if, if you were published in Sports Illustrated, it doesn't matter if it was a gallery on .com. You were yeah. published in Sports Illustrated. So now you put Sports Illustrated. And that's, that's important for people to know. Yeah. And I think that it's, it, I don't read every about page by any means, but I'm just saying that if someone gets to that point, they better be reading something that builds you up as a photographer. You're not yeah. looking for friends. It's not a personal Yeah, kind of, yeah it validates you. It's an easy thing. Like, oh, this person's worked for like five of these big uh like magazines yes. or publications, it like, does. all right, this guy's out, he's out here doing it. Like he's actually- somebody, And I probably know somebody at one of those magazines and I could always call if I, if I was hiring him and say, what do you think of so-and-so? Oh yeah, it's easy to work with, great low maintenance, blah, blah, blah. Talented, mm-hmm. got stuff here on time. These are stuff. And these are things that people need to kind of guide themselves by, you know, or those basic rules of professionalism and so forth. So yeah. I think that those things are good to kind of either learn again or learn for the first time or whatever, but you're right. There's, the world's filled with talented people sitting on their couches watching TV right now. Listen, in every field across the board, musicians, yeah. artists, chefs, it doesn't matter, singers. <laughs> there's tons of them sitting at home right now on their couch. And there's same thing with photographers, great yeah. talent, your Instagram page is not utilized the way it should be. Your website is a disaster because you think it's just for somebody to get your phone number and you don't know how to market yourself or whatever. These are questions. And if you really want to work this business and make it succeed, there are people that can help you get better at what you do. Mm. No, good, good advice. And I know I'm actually doing one of these. I've done them before. This is the first one I've done virtually. I'm doing the SPD, uh, Oh yeah, I'm doing you. That. I signed you. I got you on my list, Brad. So you're gonna be looking at my stuff. Oh uh, man, no kidding. Yeah, so now man. I got in exchange for that hat, I'm gonna give you a top-notch <laughs> review, brother. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, how do you approach these things? I've done a couple of them. I've never done one through Zoom. Have you done any portfolio reviews yet through Zoom? I have during this whole ordeal that we're all going through, for sure. I work a lot with a um, workshop company out of Colorado called Summit Workshops. Yep. It's the old Rich Clarkson workshop group. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did a lot of portfolio reviews this summer um, w- with them, a few of them. And so this is just a- another version of it, you know. And how, how did it go? And like, what do you, when you're at these portfolio reviews, like, what do you want to see? Because I know from a photographer standpoint, it's very hard because I'm meeting with like dozens of people. And like, usually a lot of times you try to like cater your, if you only meet with one person in a day or something, you try right. to edit your portfolio for that one person. So these things where you're meeting with like 
10, 20, 30 plus people in a day. It's like You're as right. a photographer, it's kind of like a weird situation. Yeah. And, and I think you also have to remember that every one of these people on the review side, on my side, I'm reviewing the work, not showing yeah. work, right? So it's a different thing. And mm-hmm. my side is it's more in line with listen, I have a skill set. This is what I can tell you about. Yeah. I, there's somebody sitting over here and she works at Vogue. She has a different skill set. This is what she can tell you about. And yeah. some of that, you're going to take something from me and something from her. You're not going to take everything from either one of us. You're going to take something that fits what you need and so forth. So everybody can offer something, yep. you know, so that's the good thing to remember is they can always offer something. And I think your, your expectations have to be tempered by, I have, are there 20 minute sessions, aren't they? Yeah, 20. So in this particular case, which is not unusual for these types of things, you have yeah. 20 minutes to have this whole conversation about your entire body of work in your career. So the whole point is to not have an entire conversation about your whole body of work in your career. Yeah. You give a quick, I live in Boston, I live in Chicago, blah, blah, blah. I've been shooting for 10 years, mostly editorial, but I'm interested in getting more in commercial work. What do you think? And then that's the end of the conversation. Yeah. And then you show a story or you show all your portraits or you show all your action, whatever it is that's relevant to the person you're showing it to. And don't go overboard where, well, I've got to jam everything in there because I have 20 minutes. You know what I mean? That's a bad idea. And it never, it never ends well. If you went on that, if you went on a date and you go on a date and you have dinner together, how long does dinner take an hour and 20 minutes? You paid the bill and you're walking home. So in an hour at dinner, Anybody who feels the need to tell every single thing, sorry about that, every single thing about themselves in that hour and 20 minutes, there are more red flags than there is the color red in the world. I mean, that's like a disaster waiting to happen, right? It's just not the thing. There's a a time and a place for other information. There's a little mystery. There's a little this, whatever. There's all kinds of reasons to hold back a little bit. And you tell them the basic things. That's what the portfolio thing is. This is what I want to talk about today. I'm not worrying about this other thing. And, and do you go into those portfolio reviews, like hoping to find new talent that you can hire? Like, have you found new photographers that you've ended up working through for this I thing? would say that it, 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 it fluctuates and I'm open to the possibilities of what it brings to me. And I've right. certainly found photographers that I've worked with, like from that moment, I call them right back and hire them or want to work with them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. hundred percent. And yeah, that's absolutely happened. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's going to happen. I mean, that's, that's definitely. And a lot of times it's also like, I'm talking to you. I can't use you, but I think Nate Gordon can over at the Players Tribune. So I'm going to yeah. give you Nate's number and tell Nate about you. So I think you're a really good fit for him because yeah. I've been doing this a long time and I have a lot of friends and connections. Mm-hmm. So I think you would be great for them. Um, I, I also think that it comes down to you look at the work and even if it's not right for me, you know, you kind of can offer some advice. Even if it's not exactly right for me, you can definitely offer some advice that will move somebody forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I've gotten, I've done a few of them. I did like NYC yeah. photo works back in the day and yeah. I got, I got some, I started working with Bloomberg. So it's definitely been right. positive. And for, the one thing as a photographer, like right now during COVID, I mean, every business is having their own issues. It's like, yeah, you can't go meet with the magazines in person like yeah. you used to. So that's why I'm doing one of these. Like it's an investment. Absolutely. Sure. You got to keep your stuff out there and you got to keep your name out there and let people know you're relevant. There's all kinds of new people flooding the market right now while yep. you're sitting at home and they're all sitting at home, but they're figuring out ways to still meet people. And I would say in a nutshell, my expectations are, I have no expectations. Mm-hmm. You know, I, 
if, if it hits me that I can work with you, I'm writing your name down. If it hits yeah. me that I've just been able to help you and look at your work and talk to you a little bit about it, then maybe yeah. that's the end of the conversation. I never hear from you again. Yeah. Um, or if it hits me that you'd be a great, great connection with so-and-so over at this place, I'm going to connect you over there. So I try to kind of be open-minded and it, it'll just lead me where it's supposed to go. And I would imagine, I don't know, like a photographers that really put in the effort show you keep coming back to you and you see growth in their work yeah does does that kind of like like work for you like you kind of have a level of respect for that when they're like hey this guy actually wants to work for me it's not just well it's two it's two things for me one is a it's definitely a positive that their work is growing and i'm respectful of that and I, i admire and respect the work ethic and two i have to be honest with you it's it's fun to watch you know yeah if anyone has ever had somebody from their town be successful out in a world field, like, yep. Oh, that guy went lived two towns over for me. And now he's a famous movie star. <laughs> You're going to say that every time that guy comes yeah. on TV, right? <laughs> Seriously. And, or some guy from your high school played in the NBA. You yep. would, you would drop that every time you had a chance. Right. Yep. And that's kind of, this is like, I saw them early on and then recognized their work. I thought they did a really good job. I introduced them so and now they're more successful. And you, and you feel good about being able to spot that talent. And that yep. makes you feel good as an editor. But also you feel lucky that you're able to see them in the beginning and watch them grow. So I see that a lot. And it's, it's super exciting. And it's super also really just kind of, um, I guess, rewarding is the, is the word. Because you get to see somebody's career. My career stays the same. I hire photographers. I hire photographers I want to work with. I help choose their photos. I work with them. That part stays the same. And the photographers come and go all the time and seeing new ones come through and watching them get really good at what they do. It's, it's like having kids and you're like excited <laughs> when they go off and don't get thrown in jail. Right. Yeah. It's like a big plus. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, it's good. Yeah. to hear. Well, Brad, man, I'm, I'm glad we kind of like uh, did this. It was a real pleasure to kind of reconnect after I yeah, met, me too. met with you uh, like what, six years ago. Six so, years ago. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, so I can't thank you enough. Uh, I guess what's next for you, man, to wrap up? Like anything you're kind of excited on to work on moving forward or what's kind of next for Brad Smith, I guess? Well, I'm excited to work with new photographers at the uh, creative services part, the Brad Smith creative part, because I, I'm excited to meet new photographers all the time. I think that website. And sometimes is sports. It's bradsmithcreative.com, right? Exactly. Yep. Bradsmithcreative.com. And I'm always excited to meet new photographers. So that part is like, that's never in all the years I've been doing that, that's never gotten old is cool. to see new work. And I've always liked that. And then as far as the WWE is concerned, which is my number one priority, of course. And that part is I am happy to be working with these guys and they're always trying to find new ways to work in this building. And we're, we're there with no fans and you're trying to make it exciting. A lot of people trying really hard to put on the good show includes our photographers. Are you guys, is the WWE doing the cardboard cutout fan thing? No way, man. We have these massive LED boards with fans on. It's like a thousand fans on these LED boards. (laughs) Okay. And they're like super live during the show. You're like sitting in your living room. Like we are right. Anthony Gathers is probably one of those guys, man. (laughs) (laughs) He's sitting there watching the show going, yeah, I like this during the match, right? When he's not tweeting, he's probably doing that. So there's like a thousand LED boards and you get real, real, reaction in real time so yeah, yeah. i mean you're not listening to what they're saying at home fortunately it's just watching them mm-hmm. but they're part of it so we we didn't do the cutout thing but we're also in one place yeah. we're in like a bubble like you said like the nba is like we're in one arena mm-hmm. so if i was going to a different stadium every day i don't know that that physically could be done like baseball 
I can yeah. see why they have to do cardboard things, but yeah. no, we got state-of-the-art stuff. I put our stuff up against anybody in the world. It was put together uh, through the WWE and the famous group is this company that puts together yeah. these LED boards for us. Yeah, it's been and cool. And it's just, it's awesome. I mean, it's like, it's as good as the NBA or anybody else that's running that stuff right now. It's really pretty fascinating stuff. That's awesome. Well, Brad, man, I yeah. can't thank you enough. And for people listening, if they want to work with Brad, you can go to what bradsmithcreative.com. If you want a portfolio review or any kind of, uh, help with your whatever you're doing in your business is you can reach out to him i'll put the links in the description uh but thanks that. so much brad yeah no thank you I, I couldn't have had a nicer day it's a great way to spend the day and <laughs> it was good catching up with you and i look forward to seeing you in a, at october right i think yeah, the, uh, website, a, yeah I mean, the portfolio reviews yeah it's in two weeks uh, so i got you on my list so i'll see you there man i look forward to it and i'll talk to you soon thank you for having me later brad it. peace bye-bye take care so there you have it that was the Brad Smith interview. I just want to thank Brad Smith so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. It's a real pleasure talking to him about his career and everything he's accomplished at Sports Illustrated, the New York Times, the White House. Um, he's just done a lot and knows what he's talking about, so I can't thank him enough. Um, definitely go check out uh, Brad's upcoming uh, a virtual online course about pursuing a career in photo editing. Um, he'll, he'll walk you through about what photo editors do. If you're interested in becoming a photo editor, he'll give you the advice and tools that you need to pursue a career in photo editing. Um, so definitely go check that out. You can go to photographyatthesummit.com. They have a link to the online course that you can sign up for that Brad will be teaching. And I'll put the link in the descriptions. Uh, but yeah, definitely go check that out. And if you're interested in checking out more of Brad's work, you can go to his website at bradsmithcreative.com as well. So as always, I'll be having weekly podcasts every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, as well as the Photo Banter YouTube page. So thanks so much for listening and take care.